Thank you. Will you all pray with me? Father, in the name that is above every other name, in the name of Jesus, who is the stone that the builders rejected but has become the cornerstone, and we believe, Lord, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Save us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is so good to see you all. God is good? All the time? Amen. And just want you to know you've been praying for this service. I've been praying for this service. Turns out for 2,000 years, Jesus been praying for this service. In John chapter 17, he said, I pray not only for these disciples, but the ones who will believe because of them, which is us. And this is what he prayed. Make them one. Make them one. That was Jesus' prayer. So maybe we ought to say that together for ourselves today. Make them one. Make us one. Pray it with me. Make us one. One more time. Make us one. Amen. Amen. What a good prayer for us to pray together today. We've been for many weeks focusing in the gospel of Mark on this theme of give us Jesus. And what do we get when we get Jesus? Some of our uh, kids came home this weekend with a dog, and then they, uh, they without uh, really forewarning, spent the night in Galveston, and at about 3.20 in the morning, I think it was about 3.20, um, the puppy, whom we did not know was unattended, Turns out the dog knows the old hymns because she was singing at the top of her voice, I need thee every hour. <laughs> On every hour, the rest of the night. It was uh, wonderful, sort of. You remember that old saying about children and dogs. Our, our, some of you would say our dogs are our, our kids. That is true for some of my friends. Of course, if you have both, sometimes you have to make a choice. Like my friends Art and Susie, who are from Ohio, they speak with a wonderful Ohio accent. I met them in Hershey Park with their Sheltie Collie, that noble animal that has such repose, speaks with a British accent, <laughs> walks among mere mortal dogs with such certitude. And then their puppy was gone, and I didn't see them with their dog, and then them, and their dog was gone, and time passed, and it was back around Thanksgiving. I saw them with a different dog, not of the four-leg variety, but if you'll receive it, of the three-legged variety, and they're walking with this new dog in the park, and I said, what's your dog's name? Oh, Allie. This dog is named Allie. We're just fostering Stopped by our old veterinarian. He said somebody brought the dog in with an injury, had to amputate a leg, and then they never came back and got the dog. And he asked us if we would watch the dog. And we said, yes, but only until Thanksgiving, because then we, we got family coming in. And I reached down to the dog, and the dog instinctively pulled away and showed me some of its pearly white teeth. And, and I looked at the dog, and they said, well... 
the dog's been traumatized and, and I uh, sort of waved at Allie and another dog came by and Allie, you know, fear turns to anger and uh, eyes darting in different directions and I'm feeling for them and feeling for Allie and not knowing what to say. I just sort of waved goodbye. And as I think about uh, our animals and how we love them, I thought, well, sometimes, like they said, you know, with our grandkids coming in town, we don't know if we can trust Allie with our grandkids. Sometimes you choose between your, your kids and your children. How would you choose if you, uh, between your kids and your dogs? If you had to choose between your kids and your dog, how would you, be careful how you answer that. It's a little tough, kids and dogs. But grandchildren and dogs, that's easy, right? <laughs> It's the grandkids. I mean, it's just easy. And so in this case, they said, we're taking the dog back to the, the veterinarian. And I understood their dilemma. Did you know Jesus talked about children and dogs in a story? In Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, open your Bibles with me. Give us, Jesus, humble, desperate faith. In 41 years as a pastor, I've never preached on this text. I was feeling kind of bad about that till I listened to John Stott this week and he told his congregation in 60 years, I've never preached on this text. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's stand together and see what God has to say to the people of God through the word of God today. Mark chapter seven, verse 24, just these seven verses. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter first let the children eat all they want, he told her. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. You can't hide Jesus. Jesus wanted to be hidden. This story raises all kinds of questions for me and the 15 commentaries I opened this week trying to find out what they thought about this unusual story. It's a side of Jesus. I mean, a lot of us are reading a book right now about Jesus, gentle and, and, and mild, but he doesn't seem very gentle or very mild in his response to this lady. I mean, I, I read it this week and I had all kinds of questions. Just starting in that first verse, Jesus goes to some house in Tyre. How did they find just houses to, I mean, was it VRBO? Was it Airbnb? I mean, how did you find a place in the first century to go? And if you go to this, this place and then you're trying to stay hidden, but Jesus can't 
stay hidden because there's a woman there who has a child in need. And she finds a way to find Jesus and she finagles her way some way into the house and she, she talks to Jesus falling on her knees. She calls him Lord and she asks him to intervene on behalf of her daughter. And then Jesus just sort of inexplicably says, yeah, so there's an order of things. I've come, the Matthean version of this in chapter 15 says, only to the house of Israel. During Jesus' life on earth, remember his focus was on the Jews and he was simply giving her the order. There will come a time after the resurrection when he says make disciples of all nations, but this is not that time and she's an outsider and he and his disciples likely are looking for rest because remember their last two vacations were interrupted by ministry needs. And so this woman comes and, and Jesus is l looking at her and he, he says, you know, this is not the time or the place and he makes it very clear he's not going to help her. And you just have to love this lady who says, so you're saying there's a chance. Because even the dogs, the dogs get some of the crumbs and Matthew says, Jesus looks at her and says, you have great faith. You have great faith. I suppose it's hard to impress Jesus with our faith. He said, when I come to the earth, will I find faith on the earth? When I return, will I find faith? I was reading a, a famous writer this week, and he said, most people in church, see if this is true of you, most people don't believe. I mean, they, they want they want to believe and they feel bad that they don't believe and they, they like to be around people who do so they come to church and enjoy the hallowedness of it all but the faith is not in them. And then the writer of Hebrews says without faith it's impossible to please God. I'm impressed that this lady who was the last person who could expect the help of the Jewish Messiah in that moment, the person who was the least, who had the least chance, the person who was by all accounts a lost cause and yet when she with desperate, humble faith refuses to let go of Jesus, Jesus does not let go of her. In a word, when the last the lost and the least desperately believe Jesus is our last hope. Jesus shows up with great grace and great power. Jesus seeks the last, the lost, and the least. We know that when he has these statements where he says, for instance, in Luke 19.10, when people are, are trashing him for going to Zacchaeus' house and hanging out with tax collectors, and Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I suppose he and his disciples went to Tyre, which sounds like an unlikely destination for a vacation if you're really exhausted. Let's all go to Tyre. And they go to Tyre, and they're tired, and they get there, and I suppose it went something like this. 
Jesus has this mission. He's seeking and saving the lost, but he needs to rest. My marathon partner years ago, Rob Perkins, said to me, Dwayne, you have to learn to rest while you're running. That's never worked for me exactly. Maybe that's why I haven't run a 247 Boston Marathon like Rob Perkins has, but I understood what he meant by that, and Jesus is always trying to get the disciples away, and this time he just leaves the Jewish area completely, goes over to the coast to Tyre in that area, and they close the door, and he says, don't let anybody in. Which disciple would you have posted for that duty? I was thinking about this. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put Andrew at the door. He lets everybody in. He's always bringing somebody to Jesus. Well, maybe Peter. Peter's pretty good with a sword, we find out later in the story. Maybe, maybe Peter. Or, I mean, Simon was a zealot, so he used to fight the Roman government, so maybe you put Simon there, and I'm just imagining what this is like. I mean, I mean how hard can it be to keep a Syrophoenician woman out of the house? Of course, then I think about Kent Hughes, who said there's only four kinds of people. There's, there's cowards, and then there's ordinary people, and then there's heroic people, and then there's parents. <laughs> and this parent is at the door. And I'm trying to think he's saying, Jesus? No, not Jesus. Jesus not here. No, no, Jesus here. I mean, who is he? Is he, is he the pastor's secretary trying to protect the, the pastor's time to study? Cindy Lutz, I understand, is pretty good at, at managing that Or the time when I was in the hospital and somebody told me afterward, your wife was a sentry at the door. Nobody was getting in the door. I'm thinking it's more like full Gandalf fighting the Balrog. I mean, like, you shall not pass here. But next thing you know, this woman who's historically been named Justice and her daughter Bernice Well, there's justice kneeling at Jesus' feet, asking for mercy. And there's Jesus talking about dogs and children. And there's the woman getting through. Who who is this woman and how does she get through? And we're just reminded that the disciples have just been on a mission trip themselves, casting out demons. You would think they would have gotten in some pretty good practice, and this would have been, no, Jesus, let us take care of this. But no, because everybody, and by everybody, I mean everybody has their boundaries. And we're not careful, old prejudices. I mean, she's a, she's a Gentile. To this day, I learned this week, that Jew, my Jewish friends have a name for the Gentiles. They call them the, the Goyim. Uh, that's why that little poem that says, how odd of God to choose the Jews. And then a Jewish author said, not odd of God. The Goyim, the Gentiles, annoy him. They annoy God. It's not odd that he would choose the Jews. But again and again, the gospels seem to ask and answer a very important question for us. Is God's love a zero sum? Can he love the Jews and the Gentiles at the same time? Can he love me and love you? Can he bless your grandkids and my grandkids? Can he take care of your children and my children simultaneously? Just just how big is the love of God? And this story tells us it's bigger than ours, bigger than the disciples' love friend of mine confessed to me recently. He said, I I thought I had left all my prejudices behind, and then I realized I have a prejudice against rich people. 
I struggle with people who are wealthy. I just think, well, they're just, you know, rich people. I suppose when we think we have no prejudices left, another one will emerge. But the important part of the story is Jesus listens to her and he talks to her. Jim Cimbala said the greatest sin in America is not what you might think. Now, here's the great sin in, the, in America and pastors are committing it every day. Pastors are not on their knees praying these words, God, send us the people nobody wants. Send us the people nobody wants. Send us the drug addicts and the prostitutes and the people whose lives are an absolute mess. Send them to us so that we may love them in your name until they are made whole. And one of my predecessors for 20 years stood in these buildings and said, and still there is room for more. Every time he dunked somebody under the water, and still there is room for more. And it turns out there is room in our, in our buildings. There is, room, there is room in our parking lots. The question is, is there room in our hearts for people we would say, I don't have much in common with this person or with that person on an economic or a political or a cultural level and it turns out in the body of Christ at Tallowood, there are over 40 nationalities. We represent all kinds of different spectrums of ideas. And the good news for people like us and the people on whose radar we are not this morning, here's the good news. Jesus still seeks the last, the lost, and the least like the Syrophoenician woman. Here's even better news. Jesus saves those who know that he is our last hope. Three things I want to tell you to do today as we uh, come to a conclusion. First of all, in desperate faith, we tell God what we need. Isn't that what she does? Notice the way she comes to Jesus. Just some adjectives here to help us understand how she found a way. To, I love her resourcefulness, the way she found a way to get to Jesus who was seeking the lost and did she find him or did he find her? She comes to him urgently as soon as she heard he was in town. I can envision this lady having a conversation with somebody who had talked to somebody who had talked to somebody who knew the guy who used to live in the cemetery, who had a whole legion of demons go out of him into a herd of pigs. And she said, my daughter is troubled by this evil spirit. And the other person said, what you need is Jesus. And she said, what are the chances Jesus would come to Tyre of all places? And then this was her day. And as soon as she heard, it wasn't like she said, you know, I think I'll book an appointment. There's no time like the present. Urgently, she comes to him worshipfully. She falls on her knees. Dare I say, desperately. Jesus is her last chance. And Vance Havner, the old preacher, used to say the tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate, but the people of God are not. 
I don't sense a, a lot of desperation among us these days. We, we've kind of got our lives together. We've got our pattern. We know how to live our lives. There's not a deep desperation. And maybe because we're not desperate, we're not discovering the power of God that we so desperately need. She comes to him, hopefully. She believes Jesus can do something about her daughter. Nobody else has been able to. The, the disciples aren't any help to her, but at least there's Jesus. The poet said, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the storm is heard. And sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the strangest land and on the chillest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a thing of me. In other words, hope Sings and it keeps singing even when there's a storm, and it doesn't cost a thing. There is desperation, there is hope, and there is persistence. Even in the verb, it says, She kept asking. How do we know that she kept asking? Because in Matthew's translation of it, version of the story, there's a little more detail. And when the woman first speaks to Jesus, Jesus is silent. Jesus is silent. Maybe you've been through that with Jesus where the heavens seemed like iron and there was no answer. She says, Jesus, help me. And at first he's silent. And then he says, I, I came only for Israel, but she keeps asking, prompting the disciples who were always ready to send children or somebody away, make it stop, Lord. Make it stop. Get rid of her. Get her out of here. That's what Matthew says the disciples said. And it strikes me that sometimes the people of God can be the very obstacle that keeps the ones who need to be people of God away by choices we make, by decisions we have, by distancing ourselves from those who disagree with us. We may be the barrier, but I love that she persists. Our young friend Joshua Barrett is praying for us today. I told him the text. He just shook his head. And then he said, well, there's a twist in it. Oh, love that will not let him go. We know, oh, love that will not let me go. But oh, love that will not. Look, Jesus is not playing hide and seek when he posts the sentinel at the door. He's really playing seek and find. Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14a come to mind. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And on this day, that scripture was fulfilled for a Syrophoenician woman who was the last, the least, the lost cause. Three strikes, she's out. But here's Jesus, in desperate faith, first, tell God what you need. Second, in desperate faith, we trust even when we don't understand. By faith, we fall before Jesus in humility. So look, when Jesus says the whole thing about the dog, there's a couple of extenuating things. First of all, we don't see Jesus' eyes and hear the tone of his voice. Is he being coy a little bit? Is he stretching her a little bit? When he says, you don't take the food for the children and give it to the dogs. He doesn't use the word, by the way, the Greek has words for like mongrel and cur. That's not the word. It's actually, this is interesting, puppies. 
the puppies. That's the word in Greek. It's the little dogs. It's the little dogs. And she has the little girl. And she says, the little dogs get the little crumbs. That's the exact expression she uses. She could have said, who are you calling a dog? But she doesn't say that. She says, even the dogs, the little puppies, get the little crumbs. Bernard of Clairvaux said, it's only when humility warrants it that great grace can be obtained. So when you perceive that you're being humiliated, look on it as the sign of a sure guarantee that grace is on the way. That's her story. Just as the heart is puffed up with pride before its destruction, so it's humiliated before being honored. We misunderstand the gospel sometimes. Tim Keller of New York has helped us with that at Redeemer Presbyterian. He says, this is the gospel, not give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. That's not what she's saying. What is she saying? Here's what she's saying. Give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. That's the gospel. Not, hey, Lord, I've scratched your back. You kind of owe me. No, it's more like, God, you're right. I if, it, if, it, if I deserved it, it wouldn't be grace, but I need grace, and your grace is the only thing that's going to help me, and I'm asking you to give it not on the basis of my goodness, but on the basis of your goodness. The third thing, not only tell God what you need and trust him even when you don't deserve it, but here's the third one. In desperate faith, we take Jesus at his word. I'm interested that when he says, your, your daughter's well, your faith is great, you have mega faith, that's what he says in Greek, she just goes home. She doesn't ask for a sign. She doesn't ask him to go with her. She doesn't know. She's just like, she's like, okay, you said it, and I believe it. Charles Spurgeon said she had such resolute faith that she must have what she sought, and she would not go away without it. Tradition says her name was Justice. But watching her in action, I couldn't help but remember Jacob by the Jabbok River wrestling with the angel and the angel saying, let me go. And Jacob saying, I'm not letting you go until you, isn't that who she is? And then God changes Jacob's name that day and he's no longer Jacob. Now he's Israel because he has grappled with God and prevailed. And on this day, this lady, was her name Justice? I don't know. Was her daughter Bernice? I don't know. Here's what I know. Whatever her name used to be, now she's Israel because she held on to God and wouldn't let go until he blessed her. So I'm walking in the park this week, and there's Art and Susie. It's been some months, and they're walking along, and I see them with the dog. They still have the dog. And I said, how is Allie? They said, oh, we call her Lacey. I reached down to Lacey. Lacey licked my hand cheerfully, and I thought, what happened? This is not the same dog. But I, I observe in Andrew Lloyd Webber's song that people can change, that love changes everything. And I couldn't help but notice that the dog had been transformed in a loving home. And Art said to me with his University of Houston beanie on, he said, you know, she's turned our TV room into a rec room. And we spell it W-R-E-C-K, room. And maybe as I looked and they walked away, maybe it's not just Allie who changed into Lacey. Maybe Art and Susie 
were changed too. Maybe the disciples were changed when they saw Jesus love a Syrophoenician woman. But whatever else you take away from this story, remember this. You can't hide Jesus. If he's in the house, somebody will know he's in the house. If he's in your life, Somebody will know he's in your life. If he's in your house, your neighbors will know he's in your house. If he's in you, you can't hide Jesus. And why would you try? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus who is enough for us. We pray today that you would make your presence known even as we worship you, even as we seek you, even as we sing, we thank you that you are in this house and we pray that our neighbors will find out. God, send us the people that nobody else wants so that we can love them in your name until you make them whole. Lord, we're telling you what we need. We're trusting you even though we don't deserve it. And we're taking you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen.